Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. 2022 is a great year for UK investors in property. Massive gains in not only property uh, valuations, but also in rents. In fact, we looked at the data from the Royal Chartered Institution of Chartered Surveyors and the most recent data from the UK House Price Index showed there was an increase of some £33,000 housing prices in general on a year-on-year period. So this compared to 12 months ago, that's a growth of 12.6%. But it's not all rosy. If we look closer at what's happening this year, it was recently reported that UK housing prices have fallen by more than 5% in the year to September, with demand and sales volumes contracting as well. So what is the true picture? Um, how should you view what's happening if you have a long-term horizon when it comes to investing in the UK property market? Why invest in the UK in the first place? And why now? I put those questions to the founder of Born Poor, Die Rich. I love the name of his company, Daniel Sim. Good morning. Hi, Michelle. Lovely to be here. Okay, Dan, great to have you back. This is uh, part two. We had so much to talk about in our first show. We decided, okay, we must do another. First up. Give us your picture of the current state of the property market in the UK. Yeah, great. Uh, those are wonderful stats that you shared earlier, which I think most people don't realise even because they just look at the current headlines and it looks like, oh my gosh, the property market is plummeting and it's the most rapid drop in a decade. You know, And I think you know, <laughs> without looking into the full picture and zooming out a little bit, the percentage point drop is like 5%. Um, slightly more than 5 but Slightly more than 5 mm-hmm. <laughs> Though in the last couple of years, the market actually has gone up 10%, 11%, mm. right, in 2021, 2022. So actually, if we just zoom out a little, uh, in real perspective, we're just back to a few months ago in terms of where property prices are. Um, and... You know, if you're investing for the long term, this is actually good that there is some correction in the market simply because I, if you ask me, do you, Dan, is the property market going to go up 10% every year? It's, it's very unlikely. Uh, in fact, I think it was an anomaly in the midst of uh, Brexit, COVID. And, you know, there are people thinking that I'm going to buy now and the, the property prices are going to double in three to five years time. Mm. I personally think that's going to be quite unlikely. Um, so, you know, but for us investing for income mm-hmm. rather than just capital appreciation, then it's still a fantastic strategy because the fact that the market is stabilizing is, is a great, great place to be in whilst we're still renting out and rents are going up because of inflation as well. Okay, so we're also reading that people are selling off uh, properties at less than what they're worth over in the UK. Is this something that you're seeing? I think not so much less than what they are worth because in our methodology, uh, knowing the uh, comparable prices of properties in and around before we even buy the property is a very important step. So doing our comparable research. So um, I think there is a softening. Uh, sellers are a bit more realistic, I would say. Mm. Whereas in the last two years, um, sellers could sell property for way above, you know, let's say if they wanted to sell a property for £120,000, somebody might come in and say, okay, I'll pay 130 So <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that was the kind of situation we were in. Whereas now, I think the market's a bit more realistic, mm. less buyers or amateur buyers paying above valuation. And I think that's where the great opportunity is, really. And if UK house prices are plummeting at their most rapid pace in over a decade, some might question whether it is a good time to buy mm-hmm. if you're the contrarian type. Right? It's true, it's true. Uh, what sort of property investment trends are you seeing? Well, I think uh, in terms of trending, the markets for rentals are very, very strong, right? Rather than one, you know, against the headwinds of talks of a recession, interest rates still being quite high, though it's coming down. If you're buying for capital appreciation in the UK, I think it's a big question mark. And I like my investments to be boring, to, be, to have more certainty. I don't like to, you know, I always say hope is not a strategy, <laughs> You don't buy and then hope it goes up and hopefully make money. I'm I'm a bit kiasula. I like to, you know, buy and make sure that I know exactly how much rentals I'm going to get. And I can calculate that even before I buy a property. Yeah. And stress test those numbers, you know, with interest rates, with the exact rentals based on comparable properties. Um, it is quite a, quite a system we've put together just to assess whether it fits the criteria to be a golden goose property. And you do this... Um Every, how often do you adjust the numbers? Do you look at the market numbers and stress tests, as you say? Mm-hmm. We do that for every single deal that we, we buy and our students buy as well. And I always tell them, never outsource your due diligence. You know, always crunch your numbers, always look at the comparables. I think research is so important. You can't just rely on, you know, what you read in the news or what somebody else tells you, uh, which is why, we, you know, our approach is really, um, as an education consultancy, to teach people how to fish. So that whatever deal, whatever any country, any property in the world, somebody presents it to them, they know exactly whether it will stack up or not. Even so they can they use buy. the same methodology and stress testing sort of models for any property anywhere in the world? Mm-hmm. Any property anywhere in the world. Okay, hand, hand over that book, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> um, why? Help us understand why the UK is still an attractive destination in your book. Mm-hmm. I think multi, multiple reasons. Uh, a lot of people ask me, then why UK is so far away? You know, uh, why not somewhere nearer? Like, yeah. I don't know, Thailand or Australia uh, or even Bali. <laughs> people think maybe I can retire there. Uh, and I think it really comes back down to our, our investment strategy. Like, why are we in buying this property in the first place? Is it to retire there and stay there? Is it to, you know, let my kids... Some people want to invest in the UK because their kid is uh, going to study there. Um, which, you know, I, I, don't, I think that's a good idea. But you don't necessarily have to buy the property that your kid is going to live in. <laughs> because I think we've just shifted from that ownership to a consumption kind of economy. Where if you buy a property that gets you, gets you the best returns for passive income, with that income... You can, you know, rent anywhere. You could rent a nice Airbnb for your kid to study there. Or if he decides to shift, you know, and move in with his friends in the second year or third year, that's a lot more flexibility there. All this while, the, that Golden Goose property that, that he or she might have bought is still making income in the areas with the best demand, the best incomes. So I think, you know, people often think that uh, being far away is more risky, but it comes back down to what is your strategy? Does it really fit your strategy for passive income? Right. And your strategy seems not about capital appreciation, um, but really about the rents That's that right. you're able to command 
in the UK. So um, let's go back to to the numbers. And okay, let's say right now you see UK houses pro- dropping at their most rapid pace since the middle of 2009. And investors are thinking about navigating the property market. Where do they start? Yeah, that's a, a really good question because... Like, if somebody doesn't know anything about the UK, how do they even navigate this? Where do they even start looking? I would say to start with, um, look into the resale market rather than the new build market. Because uh, a lot of time, the the new builds are way overpriced. I mean, we think we're getting a discount because we compare it to Singapore properties, right? We buy, I mean, Singaporeans buy, let's say, a new built condo in Manchester city centre and it's like three, four hundred thousand pounds. And we think, wow, so cheap. (laughs) Because it's like not even six, seven hundred K Singapore dollars, which in Singapore, maybe you can buy half a HDB. <laughs> right? And uh, however, for three, four hundred thousand pounds, one, if you're looking in the right places, if you have someone guiding you, you could actually buy three terrace houses, not one tiny flat. So I think that's where. That's a starting point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that. Don't use the benchmark of Singapore as a comparison and then rush in thinking, wow, so cheap, so cheap, and I want a condo necessarily. Mm-hmm. So let's say you looked at those three terrace houses for about £100 sterling each, right? Yeah. Mm, what sort of rents could they come on? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Just, just before I come on to the point on rents, I also looked at uh, some stats before I, I came. I did oh, some research. You did, eh? And close to 80% of people in the UK actually live in houses mm. and not in flats. And that's so different from Singapore because Singaporean dream is to stay in a condo or buy a condo and rent it out. Uh, however, if you're buying a flat in the UK, it simply means that only 20% of the local population is probably wanting to rent your flat or uh, expats or students, which to me is a risky strategy because, you know, it's always subject to external forces, right? Like, like student admissions and the like. Um, coming back to rents and how much rent you can get for a 100k terrace house in the UK, for example, uh, it depends on the strategy. So we, we look at, I think, three strategies primarily. Buy to lets, uh, which is basically letting out the whole property. Yep. Uh, and I think you could probably get maybe 6 to 8% net yields. And if you look at social housing, where we have long-term contracts with social enterprises, vulnerable tenants, asylum seekers, or even single mothers, and the government basically has a long-term billion-dollar contracts with these social enterprises, mm. which is obviously not free. They give KPIs to their social enterprises to house all these homeless people. And that's one of the strategies I love because... It's a it's win win. You know, you're creating a home for people, and then you're getting an income from an organisation that's backed by the UK government, and they take the property off for three to five years, no voids. Oh, by the way, they pay for the utilities and any maintenance and repairs as well. <laughs> so social housing. Sounds like they're the landlords. They we are the landlords, but by by effect, proxy, as in yeah, by proxy, they are the tenants. The organisation the is right, the tenants. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So social housing. The third one is HMO or House of Multiple Occupation. And I think that's where you can get even 8 to 12% or even higher returns. You mean so subdividing the house and yes. renting out little spaces in it or rooms? Yes. So you're renting out the property by the room and not mm. the whole house on its own. But some people confuse with co-living, which I think it's people are more familiar with here. Mm-hmm. But I guess the slight difference is, you know, there we're actually owning the property. 
and, and you are renting it out. Whereas the co-living concept, if I'm not wrong, really is one where you rent it from a landlord, you subdivide it and then you rent it for more. Mm. So whilst you know, we're really looking for income, uh, I, I truly believe how you de-risk your investment in the UK is by having control. And how do you have control is by owning the property in your own name or your, you know, your own limited company. So it's not about you know, buying into a, a few people come and invest together or buying to an, shares of a company. I think that's quite risky because yeah. you basically have very little control. So give us a reference. I mean, can you own it in perpetuity as in freehold here in Singapore, 99-year uh, lease? What are leases like? Mm. In, on the topic of leases, uh, most of the properties we buy are freehold. Yeah, which is great. Love that. Yeah, I love that. Or long leases, so like triple nine. But because we're looking at existing property, right? Uh, some of these properties are hundreds of years old, which are beautiful Victorian properties. Uh, their leases are like eight hundred some years left, which I think enough, like eight hundred <laughs> plus years. It will last us eight or nine generations. Wow. Um, and then some of the new builds are uh, are shorter leases, 125 years or 99 lease, 99-year uh, lease, which is more sing- similar to Singapore. Uh, and I tend to stay away from those because we are firstly not looking at new builds and we do like freehold, right? Because mm-hmm. there's just um, more longevity and we want to leave a legacy. I think what's exciting for, for ourselves and our students is every property they buy, when I look at them in the eye, I think, wow, it's their children, it's their grandchildren, it's their, you know, whoever is their next generation uh, or somebody that they want to look after. This property, 300 years down the, the line, yes, there are going to be some repairs and maintenance, but it's still going to produce an income month after month. Wow, love that. Historic property in the first place, maybe 100 years old, still continuing to pay out value every single month for generations to come. Um, for those who are non-UK residents listening in, they want to buy a property and they're wondering what are the legal requirements they need to know. What do you say? Hmm. On the legal side of things, well, there isn't a restriction, uh, whether it's Singaporean or if you're non-UK, um, anyone can buy a property there. So the process of buying a property there perhaps is a little bit more uh, different compared to buying a property in Singapore where it's just an option to purchase. There you have to uh, appoint your solicitor, same as here. However, they go through uh, their searches first and there are a lot more searches compared to a new build. Mm-hmm. Because it's an older property. So, for example, um, is the government going to build a highway through the property? Is there any flood risk? Is there any contamination in the ground? Do people have rights on the title of the property? Yeah, without going too technical, basically this is all part of your due diligence. Which your lawyer does, right? Yes, which your lawyer does. Okay. Yeah, and it's all part of de-risking the investment even before you buy it. Yeah. Sounds like a great idea. And your lawyers are doing all this. You don't necessarily have to, um, you know, give out specific instructions. It's all, I'm sure, codified in guidelines and laws, right? Yes, it is. Though finding the right lawyer is an important one. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Well, just because we've worked with (laughs) some some in the past that haven't been that great. Really? uh, Just being really honest. And it's taken (laughs) us some time to really find people that we can trust, people who move quickly. I think in Singapore, the, you know, we all work so hard, right? And emails and fly left and right. Uh, in the UK, it's a bit different, especially when it comes to Christmas and Thanksgiving and weekends. You know, they, they don't necessarily reply that quickly. So over time, I've kind of 
adjusted my <laughs> expectations. Uh, as long as they reply me in a few business days, that's actually yeah. good. Yeah, it's a whole different culture you're buying into and different ways of working play into it as well. Really interesting. How long as a whole would it take then? You know, here, there was a time where you, I think you could complete it in, what, three months, mm-hmm. a purchase of something. How long does it take in the UK? Yeah, I would say typically three to six months would be a fair time to complete. Six months being, you know, pretty long, uh, three months being pretty quick. Yeah, so anywhere in between, which after a while, I mean, if it's your first property, then a bit nervous, right? Like, wow, why is it taking three months, four months? The days count down. But after you've done a few, and I think most of our students want to build a portfolio because, I mean, with three or four of these properties, each generating a thousand a month, you could actually quite comfortably retire instead of needing to save millions of dollars and hopefully <laughs> spend it slowly and you don't outlive that. <laughs> <laughs> Not a great strategy, but yeah, that's what many people rely on mm-hmm. at the end of the day. So you help people put together a portfolio. Again, I must stress this. It's not like someone can come to you, say, join Born Poor Die Rich and then get um, uh, a bu- boutique access to someone who will do all the hard work for them. You expect people to do the hard work themselves, right? Yes. <laughs> well, we firstly, we're not, uh, we're not a real estate agency, so we don't you sell property. You're not going to buy it for us. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's, it's ultimately people putting in the, the effort to learn so that they, they too are convinced that this is something right for them. And they are the ultimate owners of the property, either in their own name or the, in their UK company name. And by the way, it's very quick to set up a UK company if you know how. In 24 to 48 hours, it's, it's sorted. Oh. And a bank account as well. But, you know, for like you mentioned, it's not something that people just waltz up and say, hey, then you just do, do everything for us. Uh, however, we do work with a select group of people who are really serious about learning how to do this, mm. uh, building it for themselves. In fact, I'm going to the UK uh, later this week with some of my students. We're going to look at properties. Uh, some of them need some TLC. Can I come? I just love house hunting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like house hunting indeed. Not just shopping for uh, handbags, but for, for properties, <laughs> for assets. Love it, love it. Um, which areas will you be heading to? Ah, okay, that's a good question. <laughs> well, I think for, for starts, we will definitely not be looking in London because, and, and that's where it's quite counterintuitive, right? Because yeah. people think UK, England, then maybe it's London, Canary yeah. Wharf. Uh, these are the properties with high risk because the locals don't live there. But you have tourists who want to stay there. Yeah, tourists, maybe maybe more the, you know, expat Airbnb bankers types, yeah. who are working there. Mm-mm. But as a result, you know, the, you're, you're subject to economic cycles. Mm-hmm. And as expats are sent back, then who's going to rent those properties? I mean, if you bring it closer to home, um, properties in, I don't know, Raffles Place, you know, the sale at Marina, for example. Nothing wrong if you want to live there and have really nice uh, views. But in, in times of recession where expats are sent back, very few Singaporeans want to rent a place or buy a place like that. I mean, there are some, but the exit options are more limited. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. So we'll, we'll be looking more up north into areas where there's still good enterprise. Uh, it's not a place where <laughs> in the middle of <laughs> the jungle or something. <laughs> still, still nice cities. Uh, well-connected, lots of amenities. Uh, here's a, a tip uh, for you, Michelle, and our listeners. Actually, we really like being near training hospitals. Oh. Yeah, and specifically training hospitals because there's a steady flow of nurses, trainee doctors. Uh, they don't actually want to live there permanently. They're just there for training hmm. uh, for a few years 
and then they move somewhere else or they're redeployed to other hospitals. But that's an, a fantastic steady stream of tenants. And they say, hey, call a friend, you know, I'll give you some incentives. Along the way, we, you know, we've created, once again, quite counterintuitive, some, some landlord tips and secrets. Like some people think, oh, let's try to raise rents or, you know, squeeze the tenants. But for us, we're always thinking about how can I give the tenant a discount that will incentivize them to stay longer, bring a friend, uh, you know, just make them happy because they too look after your properties in the long run. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Very important to make your tenant happy, I think. Good landlord tip there. Um, are there some factors that might affect the value of property investments in the UK that you think our listeners should be made aware of? Mm, in terms of the value, I think over, property over time goes up, right? If you have a mid to long term view, because <laughs> they're simply not building any more land. So it's, it's already a scarce resource. I think another important factor is knowing the macro economics of the area. So in the UK, the number of houses needed every year versus the amount of houses that are built, there's a shortage of about 200,000 homes every year. Mm. Um, and this has been happening for the last 20 years. So that's like 4 million houses short mm. <laughs> and simple demand and supply. That gives you the, the idea of the direction in where property prices are going to go. Rents are going to go as well. Um, just to put it in perspective, 4 million homes of an average household size of about 2.4 people per household in, in the UK, that's like 8 million people that don't have homes. Not enough homes. Um, that's like almost two times of the population in Singapore here. I mean, just just Staggering. blows my mind in yeah. terms of the shortage. And which is why I think, you know, it's an, an opportunity for us as private landlords to step in and mm. say, what can we do to convert some properties that maybe in its current state are not maybe fantastic, but um, with a bit of TLC, uh, cosmetic refurbishment without breaking the bank, turning into a, once again a comfortable home and solving this um, sh uh, housing shortage problem. And, and, and in the process, get rewarded for that, of course. Um, in terms of what we need to have to manage these properties, do we need to think in terms of the investment itself or should we be thinking in terms of cash flow? Ah, that's a great question. In terms of management of the properties, it's more in terms of cash flow. Simply because uh, one of the experts on the ground, if you need to uh, manage this successfully, especially if you want to do it set in Singapore, you know, in your pyjamas, sipping your coffee. That's how I like to do it. <laughs> yeah, you need to have a letting agent on the ground. Okay. Yeah, and the letting agent basically charges a percentage of rental for their fee. So, for example, if your rent is... Uh, say a thousand three hundred pound a month, they charge, um, for example, ten percent uh, off the rent. Mm -hmm. So that's one hundred and thirty pound. But all these calculations, we just factor that in. Remember, mm -hmm. we said before we buy the property. So after minusing all these fees, and some people think, "Wow, so expensive! Can I don't pay that fee?" It sounds like <laughs> it's taking a lot from my cash flow. But I think. Having experts to do it is important. You don't want to get your auntie to, who's living in the UK. How did you know that? I was just thinking, I'd rather be my auntie who's <laughs> <laughs> The auntie will go there and say, oh, 
the flowers are lovely. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I always think it's important to work with experts. Uh, what is this professional going to do? Like handle the plumbing issues, handle any issues that your tenant might have? Yeah, so to start with, they are rental experts. So they would uh, advertise the property for you. Uh, they would vet the tenants, oh. you know, check whether they have Very their income is more than enough to pay the rent. Mm-mm. They might do some uh, references with all landlords. Uh, they will book them in, get the tenancy agreements signed. Uh, they'll collect rent. Very important. <laughs> and the best part is they don't get paid if they don't collect rent. Ah. Which is how I like to kind of set it up. But the standard practice there anyway. They're the important, vested in it. Yeah. yeah, the important bit is to find the good letting agent because some are just terrible. <laughs> and I'm sure from the years of experience that you have, you, you, you know some great ones. Yeah, we, we have the misfortune of knowing some not-so-good ones yeah. <laughs> through some hard knocks. <laughs> and which is why, you know, we're really... Um, so protective of the teams that we have uh, so that, yeah, we don't overwhelm them with people who are interested but actually waste their time, really. Because a lot lot of people are interested but not many people really take action, you know, are committed to make this a reality for themselves. Right. Speaking of time, I'm coming up hard against the news, Dan. So we've got to wrap it up here. If more people want to find out about you, all they have to do is Google that company name, I tell you. Born Poor, Die Riches, Daniel Sim, my guest this morning. Dan, thanks for coming by. Lovely, thank you. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.